1: business, home, social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made, and by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi.
2: Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi in New York City, bringing you the occasional and sometimes frequent sounds of Manhattan, along with evidence-based techniques to improve your quality of life. If you Google authentic happiness, you'll find a link to a website created by the Positive Psychology Center at the University of Pennsylvania. According to this site, positive psychology is a scientific study of the strengths and virtues that enable individuals and communities to thrive. Beyond the research that reveals what it takes for you to flourish, UPenn's Positive Psychology Center offers free questionnaires through its website. These questionnaires give you a chance to assess your experience of meaning in life, your overall life satisfaction, emotional well-being, and other factors that affect your ability to thrive. I've used some of these assessments with my coaching clients to focus our work on the areas that will create the greatest positive impact in their lives. Today's show invites you to explore how applying the tools of positive psychology can improve your quality of life. This includes looking at how you give praise to others and also how your mindset affects your ability to reach greater heights at work and personally. Joining us to share her expertise on these topics is Janet Chamino, a licensed therapist who has been in private practice for 26 years. Janet is certified in applied positive psychology, which she uses in her work with both individuals and groups. Her professional interests include providing workplace education on evidence-based research and tools that can help to improve relationships, performance, and other factors that impact your career. Janet, thanks for joining Mm -hmm. us to share some of the positive psychology approaches that you found to be effective in your practice. It's great to be here. Mm -hmm. It'd be great to start by talking more about the field of positive psychology
3: and what it seeks to accomplish. The field of positive psychology is very exciting, and I'm very excited about it. I am a recent CAP graduate. What's CAP? CAP? is a certification in Applied Positive Psychology. This stems from the MAP program from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, The field was started by Martin Seligman. He was the president of the American Psychological Association. And in the late 90s, he began to explore this idea of, is the absence of mental illness happiness thriving and flourishing? And most of us would answer, no, there's a lot of people without a diagnosable mental illness who aren't thriving. So he began to explore what are the elements, what are the things that help people thrive and flourish? At the time, fortunately, there were a lot of people out there doing research. And what Seligman did is he brought this together. He brought the research together under the umbrella of positive psychology. So in essence, positive psychology is the scientific study of optimal functioning. It aims to discover and promote the factors that allow individuals and communities to thrive.
2: It's an interesting point that you're making regarding the absence of disease. Does that mean that people are healthy? Right.
3: Exactly. And there are a lot of unhealthy people walking around who don't have a diagnosable disease, even physically. So positive psychology seeks to focus on what makes people optimally happy.
2: Mm. And and speaking of that, what are some approaches from positive psychology that you have found to be transformative with your clients?
3: Well... I've been a therapist for 26 years, and the way that I was trained as a clinical social worker was really according to the disease model, which doctors are also trained according to. And in the disease model, we focus on eliminating neurosis, anger, anxiety, depression, psychosis, or whatever symptoms people have. We focus on what's wrong. Uh, We focus on getting rid of the bad rather than building on the good, building well-being, building joy, um, focusing on strengths, building on what people are good at. So it's a very big shift from the disease model. And I've been doing that for 26 years. So for me to make this shift is a relatively new thing, but uh, it's it's been very successful. And people love the information. And I think it's really helping people to go further than they ever thought they could.
2: So it sounds like the par- you've had a parallel experience, and that's a beautiful point that you're bringing up, that as practitioners... Mm-hmm whatever field we're in, if we're incorporating ideas from positive psychology, we've also been working with the imprint that we've had all of these years. And so it offers us more of an opportunity really to appreciate what everyone else goes through when we try to introduce these concepts. So I'd like to ask two things. One is, what has, in terms of making this shift, it's it would seem that you have integrated these concepts in your own life. and. In addition to working with your clients to implement these uh, concepts, and you mentioned that the results have been good so far, can you offer some examples of what kind of shifts you've seen in people and what specific tools that you've used with them or concepts that have helped them?
3: Well, yes, several. For one, I have a lot of my clients take the VIA Character Strengths survey, so they can look at their top five strengths. There are twenty-five strengths. There's a questionnaire. The listening audience can go on to VIAStrengths.com. I'm pretty sure they can access
2: that. Yeah, if you if you Google authentic happiness, as I mentioned at the start of the show you'll be able to access all of those questionnaires free of charge if you create
3: a login on the site. Okay, great. So people focusing on what their strengths are is immediately uplifting to one's mood. The energy shift in a session from talking about what's wrong to talking about what's right is so apparent. You can feel it in the session. You can feel it in the air. Um, clients perk up when they speak about what's right with them, what their strengths are, what they're good at. Mm. It's a, an immediate mood booster. That sounds like
2: a shift in the sense that therapy doesn't have to always be painful, that you, you need to walk away feeling good after having done an exercise like this because essentially all of those 25 items are strengths. So really, you're just taking a look at what your top ones are. Yes. And I've used that assessment as well extensively. It's one of my favorites to use with coaching clients for career work. Because what it what I found that it does, if you're in a situation where you're looking to redirect in your career or maybe you're not feeling so good about your skill set, you might be in a role that's not compatible for you, it connects people back to who they are. That's what I find, essentially, because we're since you can't really define a person based on their work experience, there's so much capacity that we have that's not reflected in our experiences, so this actually speaks to your capability beyond your experiences.
3: Yes, which is more about who people are rather than what they're doing in the world. We're so much more than what we do in the world. We're so much more than our roles. Mm -hmm. We're so much more than mother, friend, um, social worker, coach, or whatever you call yourself. I mean, someone behind a grocery counter as a cashier might be uh, an amazing musician. We're so much more than what we do. Yet here in New York City, for sure, and I think a lot in Western countries, we define ourselves by what we do and our roles in the world. But there is so much more to us. That's an excellent example that you offered a
2: very concrete strategy that anyone could use, whether if you're working with a therapist or if you're working with a coach or both, you can simply take this assessment free of charge and actually bring it into your work with those individuals.
3: Absolutely. Yes.
2: Are there any other tools or techniques that you have found particularly helpful?
3: Well, I try to incorporate positive psychology techniques depending on the situation or what my clients bring up at the time. It's more of a fluid type of thing. Um, There are so many tools in positive psychology. Uh, So for instance, say someone is dealing with achievement. Say they have goals and they're unable to achieve them. So we might look at SMART goals a smart goal paradigm, um, are they specific, are they measurable, are they attainable and agreed upon? Um, mm-hmm. And going through each of those things, are they reasonable and are they timely? So. I will apply the tools of positive psychology according to the different problems that come up.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So when, when, of course, goal setting is something that's talked about a lot. And one of the techniques that you use is to really help people to drill down and to vet their goals. Yes. To make sure that they're really positioning themselves in a very successful way.
3: Yes, because through achievement, through experiences of self-efficacy, people feel better and people build on themselves and mm-hmm. build on feeling better about themselves. Mm-hmm. So according to what comes up, I will apply a positive psychology goal. For instance, they might be having trouble in relationships, so there's lots of tools for relationships. One interesting thing is called active constructive responding. And what they found is in relationships, What characterizes um, a positive experience in relationships is how how we respond to someone's good news rather than how we respond to their bad news. So responding in a positive, enthusiastic way uh, boosts the experience in a relationship. And, of course, we always want to tell the person that is going to be excited for us. Sometimes the person's response is, oh, okay, that's great. So learning how to active, constructively respond is something teachable. And that's what I love about positive psychology and all of the techniques that I've learned in the CAP program is they're a skill set. There are things you can teach people. So there's a lot of psychoeducation that goes on now in my sessions more than... There used to be, Mm -hmm. and I have handouts and clients, are learning things that they can apply and do over and over again and improve their lives and improve their relationships. You mentioned a couple of techniques that I'd like to
2: emphasize because it seems that those are very relatable, and they're techniques that are fairly easy to implement for anybody. One is just being aware. Sometimes we're not even aware that we're responding negatively, To someone's good news. It's true. And you brought up that point that in order to improve relationships, we want to make sure that we're projecting some positive emotions, we're conveying positive emotions to someone's good news. Yes. So just observing ourselves
3: is a key piece. Yes. It
2: seems from this
3: learning self-reflection never goes away. So that's Mm -hmm. something in traditional therapy that we do, we've been doing for years and years. So of course, being aware of where you are is extremely important because how are you going to even be conscious of what you might need to strengthen if you're not aware Mm -hmm. of where you are? And sometimes maybe that's
2: a little bit more challenging with existing relationships.
3: That those are the places
2: sometimes where we need to really catch ourselves because with people we're meeting fresh, sometimes we're putting on our best face. Yes. And with our parents, our spouses, close friends, people we've known for a long time, maybe those are particular places where we need to really be mindful of our responses to these individuals.
3: Yes. We tend to go into our default settings with the people that we're Mm -hmm. most comfortable with and when you think about it, when you really think about it, those are the people that we should be putting on our best face for, not a face in terms of disguise, but we should be really trying because those are the most meaningful relationships and yet we kind of let them go and go Mm -hmm. to our default settings Mm because we're so comfortable.
2: So this is an interesting point with regard to positive psychology's contribution to improving relationships. And you also brought out the point regarding goal setting yes. and self-efficacy, yes. which seems like an important point to emphasize that essentially by setting goals that you can actually realistically accomplish and observing the smaller successes that you're able to build self-efficacy, which is essentially your confidence in being able to make changes in your life.
3: Yes. So many people come into therapy seeking greater self-esteem. And it's very important to point out the difference between self or where self-esteem comes from. And self-esteem actually comes from self-efficacy or let me put it this way, sustainable self-esteem. Because we can all get compliments um, and feel buoyed up for that short period of time from that compliment, but what really sustains us is our own sense of self. And that oftentimes comes from building skills and mastering skills, and that's what self-efficacy is. And when we master more and more things and become good at things and build our successes. From those experiences we actually derive self-esteem.
2: So essentially we need to have a plan in place. That That the idea is that we all have so many talents and oftentimes what bridges the gap between someone who's able to be very successful in bringing their talents to the world and earning a good living to their talents and someone who is struggling along those lines is that you need to have a plan that helps you to build that confidence because essentially you're showing yourself that you have a track record of success when you're able to build.
3: Yes, and I'm going to cover that more when we get to fixed and growth mindset because that's Mm -hmm. going to have a lot to do with people who are able to build confidence, and those who don't, Mm -hmm. and why. But yes. So in the meantime, at least just
2: thinking about change, change that happens at work that's brought to you that you need to go along with, change that you you may be extraordinarily accomplished in your work and have wonderful successes in your personal life, and still there are places where we're very uncomfortable about the change process. And it's important to take a look at then how we can build our confidence around or at least understand what is uncomfortable for us about the change.
3: Yes. And regular psychotherapy does a good job at building the relationship between a therapist and a client. I'm sure coaches do the same thing so that it's a safe place so that clients are willing to take a look at those vulnerable places in their lives where we can help them. Build self-efficacy.
2: We're going to go to a brief commercial. I'm Hemda Mizrahi speaking with therapist Janet Chimino about what the field of positive psychology teaches us about our ability to lead meaningful and fulfilling lives. When we come back, Janet will talk about how our mindset and the way we give praise affect our relationships, our skill in developing others, and our life opportunities. Stay with us.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Imagine
2: you hired a designer to redo your kitchen. Working with an expert to meet your needs was such a high. You're enjoying the new feature so much that you're waking up early to write the book that's been in your head for five years. The raised Caesarstone countertop and cushioned back stool are your writer's desk. With this comes the realization that all of the rooms in your home need to be redone to match the level of your kitchen. This scenario demonstrates my approach to executive and lifestyle coaching. It involves understanding what compatibility means to you at different times in relationships, career, nutrition, and other quality of life areas. It's also about elevating your game personally and professionally. Given my multidisciplinary expertise, we can address a range of needs that are critical to your fulfillment and success. I'm Himda Mizrahi, Managing Director of Life and Career Choices, a global executive coaching and concierge practice. Learn more about my services and contact me through lifeandcareerchoices.com.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page.
2: Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, speaking with therapist Janet chamino about strategies from the field of positive psychology. We talked about some of the factors that enable you to flourish, and we'll dive into how your mindset affects your life.
3: Great. So one of the things I wanted to share with your audience is that Research shows that happiness, if we look at a pie, it's 50% genetic and only 10% based on our life circumstances, and then 40% of the pie is based on how we think about ourselves in the world and what we do about it, and that's a big piece of the pie, and basically it's that 40% that positive psychology deals with. So one of the things I wanted to talk about was mindset theory, which I'm so excited about. I think this is an exciting um, aspect of positive psychology. And most of the research uh, is from a Ph.D. psychologist, Carol Dweck. And her book is called Mindset, The New Psychology of Success how we can learn to fulfill our potential. So basically, she she actually came upon this while doing a study about children. She brought them into a room, one by one, four-year-olds, and gave them a puzzle. And she had them do the puzzle, and then after that she asked, would you like a harder puzzle, or would you like to do the same puzzle? And some of the kids said, oh, no, I'll just do this one again. And some of the kids looked at her like, are you crazy, lady? Of course I want something harder. Of course I want something more challenging. And she did other studies on them. But that led the way to wanting to understand the difference between these children. Why do some children relish in challenges, and making the effort, and some children cower away from that. So she continued to do research, and she came up with this paradigm of fixed and growth mindset. So what she found is a fixed mindset is a set of beliefs, behaviors, and outlooks that reflect that abilities are established and you can't change regardless of the efforts made. So these are people that basically believe that you're only just so intelligent no matter what you do, that's how te- intelligent you're going to be. And then there are some people that believe that intelligent is intelligence is not fixed and that I can become smarter and smarter. It sounds like then the key point
2: also related to the happiness pie, where you talked about 40% essentially of happiness is something that we can impact, that it's about how we look at life. It's about how we respond to life. And in this case, the same thing with the fixed mindset, Mm -hmm. that it's about what we think, how we perceive our ability to impact the quality of our lives is such a key piece.
3: Yes. And that's why I'm focusing on mindset theory above so many of the other theories I could focus on about positive psychology, because I think it has such far-reaching consequences in someone's life. Um, So going on to a growth mindset, a growth mindset is a set of beliefs, behaviors, or outlooks that reflects that abilities can be learned if you invest enough effort. And it's a belief that someone can learn and grow with effort and practice. And actually physiologically, Fixed mindset is wrong because physiologically, if you look at the brain, we are constantly making new neural connections as we learn, as we explore, as we study, as we practice. We're actually building our brain and making it stronger. So physiologically, growth mindset is correct in that you can grow your brain. You can grow your abilities. So beliefs of a growth mindset person is you can substantially change how intelligent you are no matter how you are right now. You can grow yourself. So I'll just give you an example of how a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset would it affect a person in a situation, for instance, sales. So say a salesman has an experience where he works with somebody and, or several people on a particular day, and he doesn't make any sales. Well, if he goes into his fixed mindset thinking, he would think, I'm a bad salesperson. And then as a result of that, he would feel discouraged. And the behavior that would follow that would be that he would give up trying, and the result would be lack of sales. And then the result of that would be, I'm a failure. Whereas a growth mindset person would believe Selling is a skill set that would make them feel encouraged, and their behavior would be to practice their sales skills. And as a result, they'd make more sales, and then they would conclude with time and effort, I get better and better. So basically, the fixed mindset thinkers cut off their potential and cut off their ability. And when this applies to children, we should really worry Because we don't want our kids thinking that they can't do things. So, a fixed mindset is an either or approach. You either have it or you don't. You're either uh, a great athlete or you're not. You're either smart or you're not smart. You're either a great artist or a bad artist. And you hear kids saying, Oh, I'm bad at that. I'm bad at math. I can never do math. Um, She's great at art. I'm terrible. Believing that it's something you either have or you don't. How does that come about? Well, what Carol Dweck looks at is she actually looks at praise. Funny enough, the thing we do the most could be hurting our children. There is a dark side to praise but actually a certain kind of praise. So she teaches us that there's something called person praise and something called process praise. So what is it? So the person praise would be the you are statement. Oh, you're great. You're great at this. You're a great artist. You're a great athlete. Um, You're so smart. You're so pretty. You're so, you, the imagination can go on and on. Um, so what does that look like? You're so popular, you're so beautiful. Uh, whereas process praise is a statement used to describe a process the person uses for a praiseworthy outcome. Statements often begin with, I like the way you. So for instance, say a child draws a picture. The mom's response is, "Oh my God, you're such a great artist! You're like the next Picasso." Well, what that child might hear is, "Uh-oh, maybe the next picture I draw won't be so good, and she won't think I'm a great Picasso." So, effort might mean might lead to disappointment. So you actually create an anxiety in a child with too much person praise. You kind of blow them up for the minute, and they're excited, and they feel happy, but then they worry. What if mom says, oh, I'm a great soccer player, but what if next game I don't score any goals? Or what if the coach benches me? Am I a great soccer player anymore? Mm -hmm. So that's person praise. What process praise might do is say you look at the child's picture and you say, oh, I love the way you use so many, how you mix colors in the sky, how you were so careful when you were drawing the flowers, how you gave that so much attention to detail. Well, that's process praise is something the child can repeat. They can do that again. They can use lots of colors again, and they can pay attention to detail when they draw. So process praise actually builds a child's self-efficacy because they can do that behavior again and again and then master the skill. Whereas, like I said, you're a great artist. Well, what am I going to do with that?
2: Right. So the process praise is actually something you're reflecting on something that's sustainable. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the person praise, you could be making someone, whether they're a child or an adult, you you can make someone something that they're not. Like it, it reminds me of my nephew who was, I guess he was about maybe two years and six months when he was in the hospital and had a little procedure and was running around with his little gear, his little hospital gear, all excited, speaking with the nurses. And that sparked an interest in being a doctor at uh-huh. this young age. And he came to visit New York and then we went to, he, he came to visit my husband's office and we went to, who was a doctor, and we went to his office and then he looked at me and he said, I'm not really a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> right? So there's there's this, ele- there's this element of discomfort in a sense of taking on a role that is not really who you are, even at a young age.
3: Yeah, even in a, a young age. an awareness age, around that. Yeah, and they know that it doesn't fit. Like I said, the praise feels good for the moment but they know it doesn't fit so it it can create anxiety or again it creates this you either have it or you don't attitude so for instance process praise for the little soccer player might be i love how enthusiastic you are on the field that's something repeatable that's something sustainable they can Always, you know, they can produce that. Um, or I just, I love to watch you play. Um, you know, these are things that are sustainable. Or I love what a good teammate you are, how you cheer your teammates on. Those are skills that the child can go and build. Just being great at it is something they can't repeat. But if you, compliment them on the process. Say for instance they're practicing kicking the ball into the goal. I love to watch you practice. I love that you spend so much time practicing. It will make you better and better. And that's true. Mm -hmm. This this seems like a really profound
2: point because in our everyday lives we're having these conversations coming back to your point about relationships and how we communicate with people. Mm I, that, that if you give person praise as opposed to process for praise, that also can affect your relationship with the person because there's an element of discomfort that, that can be created.
3: Yes, and also the way we talk to ourselves. I, I found myself with this radio show today, this is my first radio show by the way, <laughs> saying, oh my God, you know, I'm going to be bad at this. That was the first thought that came into my mind because I'd never done it before. But when I thought about positive psychology and self-efficacy, well, how can I expect myself to be good at it? Never done it before. But by doing it over and over, you build confidence, you build mastery, you build skills. Uh, So the way we talk to ourselves, you know, I'm not pretty, I'm not good in relationships, um, I'm bad at math, we do it all the time as adults. Mm. And so it also results in the way we talk to ourselves.
2: And so essentially, if we apply this concept to ourselves and we give ourselves some process praise, as opposed to saying, I'm not going to be good at this, you might tell yourself, I really love sharing positive psychology with people.
3: Yes, that's why I'm here.
2: (laughs) I, I love that I've used these concepts in my work and that they've been effective. I've been doing therapeutic work for 26 years. And there's a lot to share about my experience and my own ability to transition also from the previous model of healthcare that focused on disease to one that focuses on health. Yes. So we can point to all the things that are true. And that seems to bring us to also the aspect of gratitude that's part of positive psychology, right? That lifts us, that it creates positive emotions when we can appreciate certain attributes that we have and work that we've done. That brings us to a place where you can be here today and share these wonderful strategies with everyone.
3: Yes, because positive emotions broaden and build, and that's also from another positive psychology research. As we experience those positive emotions, we can build on them
2: and feel better and better. So we want to think about really how we're having conversations with other people Mm -hmm. and what we can point out that's really observable and factual. Yes. About them to, to offer praise and we can apply that in the workplace as well.
3: Yes, we can. Um, just another word about children and praise. Children can become praise junkies if you give them a lot of person praise and again that buoys them up for the moment but then they need it over and over again to feel good. Whereas the process praise automatically reinforces itself as the child builds skills. They are rewarded internally. They automatically feel good about themselves because their efforts have paid off and they've earned sustainable skills as a result. Essentially,
2: you're commenting on something that's already under their belt. It's not something that's that's an aspiration that may or, not be, may or may not be their aspiration. True. You're a great artist, you could be a great doctor, you could be a great musician.
3: Right, Right. It actually, you can create more anxiety and fear in them with those kinds of comments rather than, I see you like science, I see you're enjoying biology, tell me about what you're learning and and build on what you see the child learning in their automatic excitement and the efforts that they make
2: so you're acknowledging what's already there
3: yes Yes. you're not making something up right and that can be very strengthening it can be very strengthening and the other can be like I said it has it has a dark side to it and we don't even realize it and as a parent I made that mistake I gave a lot of person praise because that's what people did. In fact, I feel there's a big cultural overlay of person praise. We're always seeing on Time Magazine or something like that, oh the greatest this, you know, the greatest actors, the best dressed, the you know, most talented athletes. We're always seeing those types of things and children want to aspire to be the best this and the best that. And as a therapist, I've seen a lot of children go through crises when they don't feel they're good at any one thing or they're not the best at something. So I think there's also a cultural overlay, of fixed mindset going on.
2: So we want to try to avoid the labels and the categories that can set people up. Yes. We're going to go to a quick commercial. I'm Hemda Mizrahi speaking with licensed therapist Janet Chimino. We talked about the importance of having a growth rather than a fixed mindset and how to give process rather than person praise. Stay tuned for insights on how you can shift your mindset to create new growth opportunities in your life. We'll be back shortly.
1: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Imagine
2: you hired a designer to redo your kitchen. Working with an expert to meet your needs was such a high. You're enjoying the new feature so much that you're waking up early to write the book that's been in your head for five years. The raised Caesarstone countertop and cushioned back stool are your writer's desk. With this comes the realization that all of the rooms in your home need to be redone to match the level of your kitchen. This scenario demonstrates my approach to executive and lifestyle coaching. It involves understanding what compatibility means to you at different times in relationships, career, nutrition, and other quality of life areas. It's also about elevating your game personally and professionally. Given my multidisciplinary expertise, we can address a range of needs that are critical to your fulfillment and success. I'm Hemd Mizrahi, Managing Director of Life and Career Choices, a global executive coaching and concierge practice. Learn more about my services and contact me through lifeandcareerchoices.com.
1: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page.
2: Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi speaking with therapist Janet Shamino. We talked about the impact your mindset has on your level of achievement and fulfillment. We also discussed how to give praise to improve motivation, relationships, and performance. So, Janet, if someone has more of a fixed than a growth mindset, what are some strategies for being able to shift to more of a growth mindset?
3: Well, one of the things that the research shows is <laughs> that curiosity is actually the an- antidote for a fixed mindset. They found in the research that people with uh, this trait of curiosity were much more growth mindset people. So, because when you think about it, curiosity leads to exploration, which leads to making new discoveries, which automatically leads to a a pleasure. And um, that pleasure will lead to wanting to do more exploration and um, making more discoveries. So, curiosity is a trait that you want to build on. And that if you're a parent, you want to build on with your child. Let's be curious together. Let's discover together. Um, rather than that pressure of, you got to learn this, you got to know this for the test. So, like I was talking about, the, the cultural overlay of a fixed mindset. I mean, I don't want to bash the entire education system, but a lot of times when we have to produce information for a test, it's not growth mindset oriented. Of course, it's the process by which a child prepares, but helping them foster this trait of curiosity is very important. And you can read um, Benefits of Curiosity by Perry. It's a great book about this whole notion of curiosity and and its
2: benefits. Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting point because it brings to mind I've done a lot of work with people on career Mm -hmm. [3] and if we look at how you can apply the concept of curiosity in practice I know there are some situations where maybe I'll work with someone who's extraordinarily accomplished they've been in a situation where there was restructuring in their workplace like so many have been through and They're in a new position now. (laughs) Not a new job yet, but a new position of being in a transition. And one case I could think of, let's say this was an older person who was concerned about entering a young workforce. Mm -hmm. And it was an interesting situation because I think underneath it all, he really didn't believe that he was going to find a satisfying new opportunity.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And so as you implied... When you have a fixed mindset, it's not going to work. Right. That affects your level of motivation, because why do it if it's not going to work? Exactly. And a person can look at that if they're in a job search situation, and let's say they have an invitation for an interview, and it's not a, a position that they're very excited about. You're looking at it from a surface perspective. hmm I'm not interested. Yes. Which also sounds like a fixed mindset. Definitely. And it turned out in one situation, this person was encouraged by their manager to apply for a specific job. And the manager said, if you're not interested, you're not interested. I want to submit your resume. Go on the interview. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And what happened was the person, because of the relationship with the manager, the person said, fine, I'll go on the interview. Mm -hmm. And the person went on the interview and it was a lovely experience. Mm -hmm. that he had with this organization he was really impressed Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been his first choice of of work Mm -hmm. but what happened was he actually got an offer from them Mm -hmm. and then at the same time he was in the process of talking to another company for a job he did want Mm -hmm. and they wanted to bring him on board and it was just taking a very very long time Mm-hmm. And so as a result of him going on this other interview, he was able to come back to the company and say, I have another offer. I need to let them know in a few days
3: mm-hmm.
2: whether or not I'm taking this job. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have an offer letter from you within a couple of days, I can't say no to them. Right. And lo and behold, he got an offer letter from the company he was interested in. Mm-hmm. So it's that, it's that point that it sounds like you're making which is to avoid looking at something from just a surface perspective. Mm
1: -hmm. That
2: there may be a linkage to another one of your goals, and if you have a sense of curiosity whereby you're saying, well, let me see what the learning could be for me in this, or what I'm supposed to be gaining from this experience by just opening yourself to step in.
3: Yes. Allowing, he he allowed himself to be on a learner path. He opened himself to the new experience which led to all of this. If he had remained closed, none of this would have ever happened. So that's where you could see how a fixed mindset could really get in the way of us discovering new possibilities for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Another thing I wanted to say is I highly recommend Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, because just exposing people to the information about fixed and growth mindset can really open your mind. Um, There's fairly simple concepts that they that can even be taught to children. So one of my clients, who's a teacher on Long Island, Uh, Her district actually wanted all their teachers to read this book, which I thought was a brilliant move on their part. And this teacher took took it upon herself to research some of the children's literature. She's a second-grade teacher. And she found some great books on the topic of uh, fixed versus growth mindset. I have some of the titles here. One's called The Fantastic Elastic Brain, where they actually teach children about the brain and how as you practice and as you study how the brain grows. Um, But of course, in children's language. Then she was telling me another one called The Beautiful Oops. And it showed out of a child making mistakes how they took that mistake and created something beautiful out of it. So for instance, an art project that they cut wrong way, they turned it into something beautiful and lots of examples of that how uh, mistakes can lead you to even more possibilities which is a wonderful concept for children and that's a growth mindset concept another one was everyone can learn to ride a bicycle and how to teach a slug to read so It's wonderful to see teachers using this in the classroom. And what she said to me is that when she was reading about this to the kids, they identified themselves. Oh, I'm fixed. Oh, I'm growth. Or I'm fixed about this and I'm growth about that. Because I do want to point that out. We could be fixed in some areas and growth in some areas. We're not all defined by one or the other. Um, So there could be an area of our life that we feel very fixed about. Like, oh, I'll never be good at math and yet feel very growth about our career or how we are as a parent or any of those things. So it's just, it's funny how the children were able to identify themselves. And and once you can identify yourself, you can work with that. So I think just exposure to mindset theory and all the ways that it can show up in your life is really, really helpful. I think uh, high school and college students would benefit a lot from this. There was one study that Carol Dweck did with a group of pre med students. They were all about, they were entering a chemistry class. They were all about the same level of knowledge and interest. But as the work got harder, the fixed mindset people started to drop back and actually apply less effort. They started having these giving up attitudes, whereas the growth mindset kids stayed engaged and they kept, bang- they kept hammering away at the coursework. And because they had the growth mindset idea, and the growth mindset idea is that effort is good, and effort creates results, where for a fixed mindset person, effort is bad. You either have it or you don't. So if I have to make an effort, that means I'm just not good at this. You see the difference? That the, it seems as
2: though you're, you're, you're having to try too hard, you're struggling, <laughs> so it's not something you should be doing.
3: Yes. Yes. And that's what fixed mindset can lead to. Mm-hmm. So just their relationship with effort and challenge...
2: Whereas the growth mindset might be, let me see how I can find a way. It seems to come back to what you were saying about goal setting. Yes. That essentially, if you're looking to accomplish something, you're in a situation where you need to develop a certain skill set. hmm Or you need to build a certain knowledge base. Yes. Whatever it is that you're required to do. That if you're able to break it down into a plan that's realistic for you to accomplish, that you can really cultivate a growth mindset because you can refer to the success that you're achieving. Yes. I took this step. Okay, so I'm not where I want to be. Right. I'm headed in that direction, I'm headed closer. Yes. Maybe I'm not going to do this as well as someone else. I can do it a lot better, though, than I'm doing it right now. Than I'm doing it right now.
3: Yes. And and if they're open, there's so many skills that a student can learn. One of the things I learned in um, the CAP program, which is a certification in applied positive psychology, is uh, the notion of visualization. They did studies on visualization. Just having students sit and visualize, again, interestingly enough, the process the process of what they would do to the outcome they want. So they measured students that just visualize them getting an A at the end of the day, and then the students that visualize the whole process they would go through by which to get an A. So they visualize themselves getting up, eating breakfast, going to the library, sitting in the library, studying, coming home, reading their notes, not even doing it. Hemda, just visualizing it. Those students had a much better outcome just visualizing. So if you have a growth mindset, you can teach that skill because it would support that you can get better and better. So just even something like that.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's what I've learned. My learning around visualization is that our system can't tell the difference between actually doing something versus when you're doing it in your visualization, it's like it's real to your system.
3: Yeah, your brain really doesn't know the difference. So that's why it's so powerful to visualize.
2: And it reminded me of what you said about praise, which is that if you can make it something real, something doable, something that you know you can accomplish, like studying. Yes. So essentially, you're coming up with a plan that is very realistic and believable to yes. you, and you're seeing yourself doing it. Yes. And that's a very concrete strategy.
3: Yes, which a lot of athletes use. They actually use visualization to see themselves getting to first base, hitting the ball far, whatever it is. It's, it's actually a skill that is highly regarded. And it, the great thing about it is it can be taught.
2: And that sounds like a very key point that you're underscoring, that you mm-hmm. offered some very actionable strategies, having an experience of curiosity, giving praise to yourself and to others that's really more processed than person. So you're praising specific activities, specific observations,
3: mm-hmm.
2: going through a goal-setting process for yourself so that you can make something that seems unattainable attainable, mm-hmm. and actually visualizing your success, that those are some ways that you can cultivate a growth mindset in addition to just being aware of the situations in which you have a fixed mindset. Yes. Wonderful strategies from Applied Positive Psychology. Thanks so much, Janet. You're very welcome. It's great being here. For those of you who'd like to bring positive psychology into your workplace, please reach out to Janet at janet.chimino at gmail.com. That's J-A-N-E-T dot C-H-I-M-I-N-O at gmail.com to find out more about her work with groups in business settings. Today, you heard about the power of shifting your mindset. Next week, you'll learn about the power of hair. Beauty industry and image consulting expert Colin Lively will discuss how decisions about hair can revolutionize your life. Colin works with C-suite executives to strengthen their professional presence. Learn how you can strengthen yours through hair color and style. Talk to you next week, and remember to make the grass greener where you are. This is Hemda Mizrahi with Turn the Page in New York City.
1: Thank you for tuning into our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then.